glad to be with you this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Jack. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I'm glad to be opening the Word with you this morning. If you have a Bible and you want to go ahead and open to the book of Romans, the book of Romans chapter 6 is where we'll be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one either on the floor or in the back of the seat there in front of you. Uh, If you're not sure where the book of Romans is, just go ahead and use the table of contents. There's no shame in that whatsoever. Um, Book of Romans. So kind of here's where we are. We just finished up last week, if you've been with us. Uh, finished up a series on the book of Ephesians um, called By Grace Through Faith. And then for this week and next week, we're going to be in a two-part series um, that uh, really kind of stands alone, but actually ends up being tied in, I think, kind of well with where we were in Ephesians. So the last two weeks, Joe, our, one of our other elders, has been teaching through uh, Ephesians 6, talking about the, um, the battle, the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare that we as Christians are engaged in. Um, and so the little two-part series that I'm doing here um, kind of takes, uh, takes that, but takes it on a different angle. I've called this series Battle Lines. Um, and because really what this is, is a, is a two-part series on how we fight sin. Um, now, I know that probably not everybody in this room is a follower of Christ. So when we start talking, Christians start talking about fighting sin, there can be these all kinds of pictures that come into your mind. Maybe it's of, you know, Puritans and, and black, you know, black garb and really sad faces and they're holier than thou or are kind of con- condemning others, telling others how they need to fight their sin. Um, but my hopes is that you will see something greater and more profound. Some of you are followers of Christ, but the thought of fighting sin may be something new in your life. Or it may be something you've heard people talk about, but you're not really sure what that means and how to go about doing it. Um, and so what I hope is that you will have something that, you will, that will help you take some of your next steps in growing in Christ. But then some of you, <clears throat> some of you are followers of Jesus. And when I start talking about fighting sin, what comes up in your mind is not the picture of the Puritans, not the picture of, I've never heard of that before. But what comes up in your mind and your heart is failure. Because you feel like I've been following Jesus forever. And it seems like no matter what I do, I can't beat this sin in my life. And I'm ready just to give up. Like it doesn't matter how hard I fight. It doesn't matter how many times I'm told to do this. It doesn't matter because it's still just there. And the next time somebody else tells me to fight sin, I'm ready to walk out of the room because it's so hard. And what I want to tell you, if that's you, I want to tell you there is hope. There is power in the name of Jesus And my prayer is that over the next two weeks, as we dive into this word, not only will the power of the Spirit re-energize you with a hope and desire to fight against sin, but you will sense and feel the victory that comes in Christ as we go against this. So wherever you are on that spectrum, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for years or you've never even investigated the claims of what it means to follow Jesus, I think that there's something here for you that God himself has brought you here so that you can be challenged, encouraged, and built up to fight in the way that Christ would have us do. So like I said, this is kind of a two-week thing. So this week we're going to be in Romans 6. Uh, next week we'll be in Romans 8. Now, originally I had done this series somewhere else and I did it as a three-part series. So you guys don't get the Romans 7 sermon. Um, sorry about that. All right. <clears throat> but here's, it's only, I only got two weeks. I had to pick and choose. So, and, uh, so let me kind of give you a little overview. I'm going to give you the shortest overview of the book of Romans ever. Okay. Romans 1 through 5, Paul's laid out our need for a Savior and the hope of the gospel for those who respond in faith. That's Romans 1 through 5. All of us need a Savior. All of us have sinned. 
All of us, every single person who'd ever lived needs a Savior. And the only way to be saved is by trusting Christ. What Jesus did on the cross in our place, by grace through faith, we receive salvation. But then Romans 6, there's a, there's a shift, there's a turn. Because Paul now goes from how we enter into this salvation to how we start living out this salvation. And one of the things we see is that we have to deal with this sin that remains in our life. We've been saved from our sins, but the question is, why is it still there? Why do we still struggle with it? What is the truth about who I am in Christ? So kind of, uh, I I called this series uh, Battle Lines. So this week is the declaration of war. Next week is what I call the battle plan. So what I'd like to do is I would like to read uh, our passage. Just a few short verses from Romans 6. So if you wouldn't mind, if you're able, would mind standing as we read the word of the Lord? We're going to be Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12. We'll read verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. This word that is not the word of man, that is not human opinion, that we could dismiss it or decide whether or not it has application to our lives, but this is your word. So Father, now I feel my inadequacy to... Hold high this word and present it. And so I pray for your spirit to empower me to speak truthfully from this word. I pray that your spirit would help us all to receive it in the way that you intend it for the glory of Jesus. We ask in Christ's name, amen. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to kind of approach this, these, th- these three verses, and I want to ask three questions. And really kind of what, the reason why I do this, sometimes when I'm preaching, you guys may notice, I'll kind of say, all right, here's the questions we want to answer. Because really, as I'm studying the text, what I'm doing is there, there are questions that come to my mind. I want to, I want to, I want to dig into the text. I want, to, I want to ask questions of it so that I can understand it deeply, kind of what's going on there. So there's three questions that I want us to, to seek to answer this morning from this text. One, who is our enemy? Second, why are we fighting? I mean, this, we're using this language of, of fighting and battle. Why are, we, why, who, why are we fighting? And third, how are we fighting? So who are we fighting? Why are we fighting? And how are we fighting? Okay, so the first question is, who is our enemy? And unfortunately for many people today, Christians have a reputation for fighting. But a lot of times that reputation is for fighting each other or for fighting political opponents or for fighting those who have different beliefs or different worldviews. And there's a sense in which some Christians view life as a battle against these things. We have to push back against the secular culture. We have to fight the worship wars. We have to fight these things. But what I want us to see from this passage is who the Spirit has called us to fight. And if we look at it, we will see we are not called to fight people of other faiths. We're not called to fight atheists. We are not called to fight the secular left or right or whichever side you think is opposite of you. The call in this passage is that we as Christians are not to fight people at all. 
but we are to do violence against our very own sin. Look with me again. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness. Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. There is an enemy that is brought out in this passage and it is not another person. It is the sin that resides within each and every one of us. And so many times, Christians will desire to fight somebody on the outside while not be willing to do battle with what's going on on the inside. Because when we can fight the people out there, we feel better about ourselves. Because we've gotten further than they have. We understand it better than they do. We're closer to God than they are. And we sometimes aren't willing to take a deep look inside And say, I am just as if not more broken than the people out there. And so this passage is calling us to fight our sin. But one of the things I want you to realize is notice that it says sin singular, not sins sins plural. Do you see that? Verse 12, let not sin, not sins. Verse 13, but don't permit your members to sin. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion. And one of the things that, that we see is there's a difference between the individual sins that we commit and the heart, the sinful heart that produces those sins. Because sometimes what we want to do is just take care of the symptoms and not get to the issue. We, uh, we lived in Georgia before we lived here. And, the, and our house that was there, um, the lady who owned it before us decided she was going to plant this, this plant called a trumpet flower right beside our mailbox. Um, I don't know if you know anything about a trumpet flower, uh, but they're from the devil, okay? They, they look pretty, they look pretty, but I'm pretty sure our mailman hated us because this thing grew fast and big and it would grow up and it would like overtake the mailbox. And so I go and I try to just trim it back at first, you know, thinking it's kind of like a bush, but I think the more you trim it, the more it grows. And so I trim it and so then one day I just got so mad and I took a, like an ax and I cut it off right at the ground. I was like, I got you trumpet flower, nothing going on here. And it was, I swear it was like I woke up the next morning, it was like some kind of magic plant. The thing had grown back up, and I just got so angry at this thing, and I kept cutting it down, and every time I cut it down, it just came back. I cut it down, it just came back. I got so mad, I eventually got a shovel, and I was like, I am done with this, and I, I am no joking. I, drew, I dug down at least a foot, foot and a half in the ground, and I found this bulb that was down there, and I dug that thing out, and I really, I, I, if I think I remember right, I'm pretty sure I threw it at the trash can because I was so mad at that thing. But once I did that, it never came back. You see, my problem was with that trumpet flower, all I was doing was cutting off the outside. I wasn't getting down to the root. And what Paul is calling us to do here is not just behavior modification, Stop doing the bad things. What Paul is doing here is he's calling us to do some deep down digging to get down to the root and fight the root of the problem. That's why he doesn't just say fight your sins. He's talking, telling us to fight our sin, the very heart that is producing these things. And so once we get down, we've got to face this and that's where we're fighting. So that's who our enemy is. That's who we're talking about here that we're fighting. But the next question is, why are we fighting? And I think there's at least, at least two things in here that I saw um, as I asked that question, why are we fighting? There's two things that I'd like to, to kind of bring out for us here. The first is this. We belong to God and not to sin. 
We belong to God and not to sin. It's a crucial part that we can't miss. We can't just look over this. Look at verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Here is why we've got to get this. Do you notice, do you see in verse 13, when he starts talking about having, having been brought from death to life. Now, I don't want to take you back to elementary school necessarily here, but did you notice the tense of the verb? Have been brought. It is a passive, past tense verb. This is crucial because a lot of what I'm going to be talking about tonight and even, I mean tonight, to this morning, (laughs) crazy, this morning and into next week is going to be very applicational, very move forward Christian, very here's how you put things in place. But if we go there without having a firm, solid foundation in the fact that the call to fight sin is for those who have been brought from death to life. Those who have understood that their sin separates them from God and that nothing they could do would get themselves right with God. No matter of good works, no matter what they did, they can't dig this root out on their own. But only Christ can do that. And that's why God himself took on flesh, lived the life that we couldn't live, and died the death that we deserve. But then Christ rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And it's those who have placed their faith in Christ, that's who I'm talking to this morning. So some of you may be sitting out there this morning, and you're hearing what I'm saying, and you know that there's sinfulness in your life, and you know that there are things in you that are just sprouting up, and you want to get this root out. Can I tell you that the way you do that this morning is not by trying harder, it's not by being better, it's not by joining a church, it's not by getting baptized, it's by placing your faith in Christ. He and he alone can remove the stain of sin from your life. He and he alone can dig up that root. And once you place your faith in Christ, it doesn't mean it all gets better. It just means you have a Savior who is strong on your behalf. And it does get better. And he empowers you to dig it up. So maybe this morning the call is for you to place your faith in Christ. But for those of us that have done that, and we're wrestling with sin, we have to remember he has redeemed us. He has saved us. We belong to him. And if we belong to him, we will not present ourselves to sin. Our pursuit of holiness comes from a recognition that sin is rebellion and cost Christ his life. Now we want to pursue righteousness because he gave himself for us. He is our king, and we want to honor him. So we belong to God, but the other part, the kind of the flip side of that coin, the second thing I think we ought to see here is that sin is a deceitful tyrant. Though we've been rescued, our sin wants to take control back. And like any dictator, there's always some kind of scheming plot to undermine the true ruler and seize control. Uh, we, we homeschool our kids, and by we, I mean I teach science on Fridays, and my wife does everything else, so I, I'm going to use the term we loosely. Um, but uh, right now, our, our kids are studying right around the time of between World War I and World War II, and they were talking about Mussolini. When Mussolini came to power in Italy, he made no, like, there wasn't any deceit in him. He stood up and said, none of you should have rights Government should have all of the rights. You exist to serve the government. And the people are like, hey, that's awesome. Let's do that. It's like, what? What is happening here? 
But we, they contrasted that with almost all the dictators that took power in South America. The dictators that took power in South America, they came up and they're like, hey, democracy, republic, elect me, and I will make sure that we are a, a true democracy and a true republic. And what happened? When they took power, then they were like, okay, I'm here and I'm not leaving. So uh, this is going to be like a democracy, right? Because now I'm in charge and whatever I want. Mussolini was up front. Everybody knew about it. These other dictators slipped in the back door. And see, what happens is sin does the same kind of thing. It slips in the back door and tells you it's okay. And the thing is, sin's desire is not to give us freedom. Sin's desire is to enslave us. Look what it says. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for... um, Verse 12, do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do you get that? Sin does not come to give us freedom and enjoyment, though we might enjoy those things temporarily, though we might, we might want to do the things sin calls us to do. Sin is ultimately trying to enslave us once again. And Christ has come that we might be free. Christ has come that we might have hope and security and a place with God. And what sin wants to do is sneak in the back door and like a life-sucking drug dealer just wants to get you hooked so you will keep coming back for more and more and go deeper and deeper and pull further and further away from God. And, and if, we're, if we're really just kind of honest here, this deceit is part of the reason why some have a problem fighting sin. We've already become hooked on sin's desires, and they've actually kind of become our own. Because sin, sin wants us to be lazy. Sin wants us to be racist. Sin wants us to be prideful. Sin wants us to be hungry for the praise of other people. Sin wants us to be liars. Sin wants us to be gluttonous. Sin wants us to be ambivalent to the need of others. Sin wants us to be self-centered. Sin wants us to be sexually rebellious. Sin wants us to be better. Sin wants us to be gossip. Sin wants us to be destructive of others. But sin doesn't put that front and center. We're not dealing with Mussolini. Sin covertly stirs desires, but then cloaks them in good-sounding language. Well, this person needs to know this information, so it's okay if I say something that was told me in confidence. Well, I know it might tear them down just a little bit. I don't really have to forgive this person because of what, how terrible they were to me. It's okay that I'm bitter here. It's only a little white lie. I need this promotion so I can do this little underhanded thing because I'll have more money and can help others. Sin comes in and cloaks the, our desires and its own desires and twists it. And while we're distracted, it steps in and tries to take back over. This is why we have to fight. But the thing is, we're not fighting a physical enemy that we can take down with a well-placed karate chop. So how are we fighting? Well, I think this passage also then gives us two um, kind of ways that we fight. And the way that I would say is that we fight in active opposition. In active opposition. First, it's active. I see this from the very first word in verse 12. Notice the word 12 there, that let. Let. Now, if you're in the ESV, the first word is let. If you have a different translation, it may be different. But this word let, is, it has the connotation of, of passive allowance, 
So what Paul's doing here is he's writing to believers and he's talking to them about sin and he's saying don't passively allow sin to come back in and take over. In other words, the fight begins with not simply allowing sin to run amok. The lie that followers give you significance The lie that your body has to look a certain way. The lie that a few minutes on this website won't hurt anyone. The lie that this one juicy bit of gossip is okay because it's just to this one person. And what we find is the lie comes in. And what we will do if we are not on our guard is we will passively just allow it to walk in the door. But it's not just active. We have to see. We have to be vigilant. We have to not allow it. We have to stand in opposition. It can't be just a recognition of sin and its lies. It's actively standing against it. So let's look at verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but when, I, when you first read that, that, some of you know what that means. Some of you are like members. Present to your members. What, what, how is, what is going on here? Um, and the word members, it, though it sounds strange, quite literally what Paul is doing is he's referring to the actual parts of our bodies. So our eyes, our hands, our feet, our arms. And so if you think about it, this image really is quite striking. What he's doing here is he is is giving us a picture of us walking over to our sin and giving sin our hands and saying, go do with it as you like. Or saying, sin, take my feet and lead me wherever you want me to go. That's the picture. When uh, we, we have four kids, and when our, especially when our boys, I don't think I ever did this with our daughter, but when our boys were little, I used to play this game with them that I thought was fun. They laughed, and, you know, it's, it's cool. But what I would do is I would take their hands and kind of hold on to them, and I would like act like I was punching them in the face. I'd say, quit hitting yourself. Quit hitting yourself. And they'd laugh. I'm like, I'm not. Yes, you are. Quit hitting yourself. No, daddy, stop. Ah, you know, we're laughing. Ah, it's funny. Funny. Quit hitting yourself. And the the picture of that is really what we're doing. We're giving sin our hands and say, beat me up. Do with me what you like. It's okay. You're more powerful than me. I, I can't defeat you. But what the image here is not letting sin have our hands, but punching it in the throat. This is something we're going to talk about specifically next week. But what I really want you to know is that we have to be on constant alert and in active opposition to sin. We can't merely say it's no big deal or it's just the way that I am or I'll never change or it's okay. We have to actively be in opposition to that which wants to drag us away from Christ, that which Christ died to redeem us from. So where do we go with this? How do we now take this and say, okay, we, we want to fight. And there's, there's a little bit of a, of, a, of a cliffhanger here. 
and I, you, maybe you feel this, and maybe you don't, but, but I, even right now, I'm like, okay, I, I see this. I kind of see this as my enemy. I see why I need to fight, but I feel like your how to fight was just more theoretical, just kind of like what, kind of what we don't need to do. How do we move forward? How do I engage this enemy? How do I go to war with this sin that is within me? And if, and if you feel that, I want you to know I'm going to let you feel that for a little while longer. Because really, that's the message of Romans chapter 8. The message of Romans chapter 8, Paul, Paul's not in a hurry to move through this. To just start out in Romans 1 saying, here's how you attack your sin. He's methodically going through, showing us the terribleness of sin, the greatness of Christ, the need to be saved by faith, the the tension and the, the wretchedness of sin, the wrestling with it. And then he gets to Romans 7 and he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I... I I do, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he moves into Romans 8. What some people have said, the greatest chapter in the entire Bible because the glorious nature of how the Spirit enables us to fight against sin. So I'm not going to give that away. I'm going to make you come back next week because that's what we're going to talk about. But what I do want to say is, okay, in the meantime, from this passage, what do we take away? What, what, what are some things we can tangibly take away? There's a few that I want to share with you. The first is this. Fight to control your members. Using the language that Paul does there. So what I mean by that is the fight with sin often begins with drastic action. Don't let your hands type the web address or the web search to take you places you know you don't need to be. Don't let your stomach make decisions. Don't let your mouth say hurtful things. Literally bite your tongue if you need to. Don't let your eyes wander. Here's why I say that. Again, I go back to what I was talking about. These are the symptoms of the heart. But sometimes, like a doctor, you have to treat the symptoms before you can get to the disease. Or sometimes you have to treat the symptoms while you're treating the disease. And so this is what we're doing here. Jesus himself in Matthew 5 says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Jesus himself died so that our sin could be taken away. But Jesus himself said, if there's something that's causing you to stumble into sins, take care of it as you're dealing with the heart issue. And so whatever it is that you're seeing you struggle with, things that push you there, things that allow and open the door, stand in active opposition to sins. Because you will never fight sin while you tolerate sins. But as you start not tolerating sins, you will want to fight sin more. They go hand in hand. So fight to control your members. Second thing is this. Learn to recognize your enemy. And what I mean by that is when you feel tempted, call it what it is, a lie from your enemy. Now, here's, here's, what, here's one of the things I want us to talk about. A lot of times as Christians, when we talk about our enemy, we automatically go to Satan. And yes, Satan is our enemy. The Bible calls him that. But unfortunately, most of the time, as I hear people talking a lot about the devil, a lot about the devil, and none of them talk about what the enemy that resides inside of them. 
In James chapter 1, it says sin is conceived by when, our own, when we are led astray by our own desires. Our desires tempt us, conceive sin, and gives birth to death. And so James, who also talks about the devil, also talks about the fact that we have an enemy residing within us. So yes, we have an enemy. We have Satan who wants to tempt us and accuse us and lead us astray, but let's never give him the credit that he doesn't deserve. Let us remember we have an enemy residing within of us that we must fight as well. And so when we are tempted, call it a lie. When, the, when it comes out and sin and temptation tells you, if you get this, your life will be better. If you just ignore your family and work harder, you'll get this promotion and it'll all be okay. We can go through, we could give tons of examples, but see that and say, no, that is not true. That is a lie. My sin is lying to me. But how do you know the lie? You have to know the word. Because the word reveals the lies. God's word shows us what the truth is. That's why we immerse ourselves in the word of God. Because as we immerse ourselves in the word of God, the truth washes over us. I was reading, a, I was start, trying to read this book this morning. I, I don't know. I got in, uh, I followed this Twitter rant one time and it went like all these different places and this guy said something about this book and I thought, man, I think this book might be good. I'm going to get it. So I, I got it from the library, didn't spend any money on it. And so I got it and I tried to read the first chapter and I was like, man, this is just kind of weird. Maybe this is, not, I don't know. And so then this morning, I, uh, I was reading like the third or fourth chapter, and I was like, this is garbage. And I threw the book across the room. But here's why I knew it was garbage. The things that he was saying were standing in direct opposition to Scripture. It sounded good. It actually sounded plausible. And it actually sounded like something that might work. But the problem was it was standing in stark opposition to what the Bible told me. And so I recognized this isn't good. I don't need to be reading this. This isn't going to push me towards Jesus. This is going to push me towards trusting in myself. I need to get rid of this. But I did that because I've been reading the word. And I don't say that to lift myself up, but just as, a, as an everyday example, you're not going to recognize the lies of sin if you don't know the truth of God's word. So immerse yourself in the word. Third thing is this, and this is, I hope, I hope, you, I hope you'll get this. Never... Never give up hope. If you're a Christian, there's a powerful promise of hope in this passage. I don't know if you saw it, but look in verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you. Sin will have no dominion over you. Here's what. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to hear this. You need to believe this. You need to trust this. Because if you're not fighting with sin right now, if you're a follower of Christ, there will be a time when you're dealing with sin. And there will be a time when you feel like you have to give in because there's no other choice. That this sin is just going to be something that will always be there. And you may struggle until your dying day. But the hope is there will come a day. There will come a time, whether it's on this earth or whether it's eternity with Christ, where you will no longer struggle with sin. It will have no dominion over you. There will be victory because Christ has ensured it. He died to redeem us. 
Titus 2 says he died to redeem a people for himself. And if we believe that Christ died to redeem us and to cleanse us and to purify us, to give up hope is to say that Christ has failed and cannot finish the job. But if Christ has redeemed us, that means every single time that I fail, though it's the three millionth time and shame is washing over me and I feel like I am the worst follower of Christ and I may not even be a follower of Christ, I know the hope of the gospel is even if on this side of heaven I never see victory for eternity, I will be with Christ and I will not deal with it and I will be made new. And follower of Christ, that promise is for you there is hope in that because when you fight sin you will fail you will fail that's just reality but reality is Jesus is stronger Jesus is greater Jesus gives hope where there's no other hope so never give up hope the last thing is this Christ Christ is our hope. When you feel like a failure, look to him. When you're at your worst, look to him. When you don't feel like it, look to him. So here's what I'm going to call you to do this morning, follower of Christ. Know that as, as the Spirit has, has raised up this, this need for fighting sin in your life, know that Christ is for you and he has defeated sin and death on the cross. But this morning, if you are not a follower of Christ, Christ stands this morning holding high the invitation that if you will turn to him, he will forgive you of your sin and adopt you into his family and make you his very own. Doesn't mean your life is going to be puppies and kittens, unicorns and rainbows, happy joy. There will be a joy that no one can take away. There is a hope that's in Christ. But we all still struggle with sin. If you meet a Christian who says they don't struggle with sin, wonder if they're a Christian. Because the Bible seems to make it pretty clear that we're all going to struggle with sin. So, we're not perfect, but we are being redeemed by Christ. I'm going to ask the band, if they would, to start making their way up here. We're going to transition into our time of the Lord's Supper. One of the beautiful things about the Lord's Supper is that every week there is a tangible reminder of the reality of the cross for us. There's a reminder that Christ gave himself so that we might be redeemed. And he shed his blood and gave his body on behalf of us. And so we invite you, if you are a believer in Christ who has placed your faith in Christ and been baptized, we ask you to join with us. And the good thing about, one of the beautiful things about this, uh, when a sermon like this, is we talk very much, as I already said, very much, we've got to fight, we've got to fight, we've got to fight. But we only fight out of the hope of the gospel, the hope in what was done for us on the cross. There's a, there's a, a, a perseverance in the battle because the battle has been won. And we can press on even when we fail. So maybe this morning, part of what you're feeling is you're feeling the, the weight of your sin and you know you've trusted Christ. This morning, as you take the, 
the elements remember Christ gave his body and he gave his blood so that you would be redeemed. And there is hope in the battle. There is hope as we move forward. So we're going to sing a song. It would be a good time for you to kind of reflect, to pray, to worship. Um, the elements, there's a couple of tables here, one in the back. When you're ready, you can come up, take those, take them back to your seat. Uh, we'll take them together. We do have juice and wine. There are labels by um, the, each of those. Let us pray, and then we'll move into this time. Father, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Um, Lord, I thank you that your word um, doesn't, doesn't keep away the hard things doesn't make us think that things are just going to be easy when we come to Christ. But even more than that, I thank you that in the midst of the hard things, you are constantly interjecting the hope of the gospel for us. And so, Lord, as we celebrate and remember what you've done, God, would you wash us anew in the hope of the gospel and empower us, sustain us, nourish us for the fight that's before us. We love you and ask it in Christ's name. Amen.